vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. <laughs> oh, guys, quick off the mark this morning. I give you the wonderful, the fabulous, the awesome, the great preacher that he is, the man of God. You're going to hear such a word from God today, guys. I'm so excited. Did you color his mic? Just cut it. <laughs> Get him off the Reach stage. Reach the Wow, <laughs> oh, God's glory. I think it's absolutely clear you should leave the notices to the professionals. <laughs> Chris started us off absolutely amazingly last week with um, uh, this brand new series on the blessing, which is uh, about God's blessing. He pops up a number of times, and we say it and spiel it off at the end of each service. And the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you his peace. And everyone said? And you stayed in your seats because it's not the end of the service. The question is, is this just kind of a precursor to our going out for donuts and coffee? Or is this actually something incredibly meaningful and there's so much richness to it? And I absolutely believe there is. This blessing, this wonderful blessing was given uh, by God to Aaron and the priests to speak over the people of God. This was his words that he wanted said. This wasn't just a, a prayer they made up on the spot. This was something he really wanted them to hear absolutely clearly. Now, the thing about a blessing is you, there's two kind of parts to a blessing. The first thing is it's about delighting in something. Oh, bless you. It's to delight in it. Um, you know, one example of that is when G, um, God created the universe. And in the days of creation, and there was a couple of times when he stood back and he said it was good and he blessed it. Now, you've got to understand, this isn't like when Dennis preaches and he gets really enthusiastic and goes, oh, yeah, that was a good sermon. Yeah, this is good preaching. God wasn't surprised. <laughs> he looked at what he did. He looked at what he made and said, this is absolutely how I want it to be. I delight in it. The second part of this blessing is that it's about, um, it's, it's kind of ties back to ancient days. When a father was drawn near to the end of his life, he would have son or sons, and he would impart on them a blessing, something meaningful. And that thing would be along the lines of, I long for you, I want for you to do great things and to achieve great things and to be the best you can be. But it's more than just longing and wanting for. He was committed to. He was, he was ready and to, se uh, to separate his estate, his inheritance, every bit of money and everything that he owned, even his authority to his sons. He was going to bless them and give them this thing that he had held on to. So he wasn't just longing for them to do good. He was committed to them succeeding in every form. Now, as Chris said last uh, week, that this is something we all want, this blessing. This is something we all crave. And over the next couple of weeks or a few weeks, we're going to be looking at different benefits to this blessing. And today, what I want to do is show why we need it and what it's for. And you see, when we have God's blessing, it gives us two things. First of all, it establishes our position our identity in this world, but also having God's blessing gives us purpose, a vision, a call on our lives. No small thing. And so I'm going to do this using possibly one of the ugliest stories in the Bible, one of the saddest stories in the Bible. It's a story we can all relate to, even as painful as it is to read. And this is the story of Jacob and Esau when they were vying for this blessing. So if you um, have Bibles or anything, um, I'll 
Bible context, I'm sorry, not just any book. Uh, can you turn to Genesis 27? Get a bit, bit of background. So uh, I'm Chris, I did a little bit of this last week, but Genesis 12, uh, God speaks to Abraham. He calls him out of the land. He says, I'm going to send you to a great place. I'm going to make you a great nation. And not only am I going to do that, I'm going to bless you as I do it. And he ble- prayed this blessing over and spoke this blessing. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless. In other words, I will delight in you. And I will work and want for your good. For you, I will make your name great and you will be a blessing to others. I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you, I will curse and all the peoples on the earth will be be blessed through you, will be delighted in and worked good for through you. Now, Abraham had this blessing. He was the first person to have it tangibly and personally. And so he passed it on to his son Isaac. And now we're coming to the part of the story where Isaac's drawing near to the end of his life. And he's readying to pass it on. And so he chooses his firstborn son, Esau. And he says to him, go out and hunt. You're a great hunter. Get some game. Cook it the way that I like it. And then when you come back and I've eaten that, I will give you the blessing. But as he's saying this, uh, his wife, Rebecca, overhears, and she is furious because she listens to this and says, but why are you giving it to Esau when there's Jacob, the son I love? What about him? And so she hatches this plan and then tells Jacob her plan, which is, Jacob, I want you to dress up. I want you to become like Esau. I want you to put on his clothes so you'll smell like him. I want you to put goat skins on your hands and your neck so you're hairy and you feel like Esau. And then last of all, I'm going to fix up some food just the way that Esau cooks it. So you smell and taste like Esau. And then go in there and get that blessing. Let's pick up the story. Uh, verse 18. So Jacob went, into his, went to his father and said, My father. Yes, my son, he answered. Who is it? You can understand he's blind by this point. He's lost all his sight. Jacob said to his father, I am Esau, your firstborn. I've done just as you have told me. Please sit up and eat some of my game so that you may give me your blessing. Isaac asked his son, how did you find it so quickly, my son? Lord, your God gave me success, he replied. Then Isaac said to Jacob, come near so I can touch you, my son, to know whether you are really my son Esau or not. Jacob went close to his father and touched him and and said, the voice is the voice of Jacob but the hands are the hands of Esau. The father's obviously confused at this moment. And then he asked for some game and he ate it. Then his father Isaac said to him, come here, my son, and kiss me. And so he went to him and kissed him. And when Isaac caught the smell of his clothes, he blessed him and said, "Ah, the smell of my son is like the smell of a field that the Lord has blessed. May God give you heaven's dew and earth's richness and abundance of grain and new wine. May nations serve you and peoples bow down to you. Be the Lord over your brothers and may the sons of your mother bow down to you. May those who curse you be cursed and those who bless you be blessed. You can see that blessing. After Isaac finished blessing him and then Jacob has scarcely left his father's presence, his brother Esau came in from hunting. He too prepared some tasty food and brought it to his father. And then he said to him, my father, please sit up and eat some of my game so that you may give me your blessing. His father Isaac asked, who are you? I am your son, he answered. I am your firstborn, Esau. Isaac trembled violently and said, who was it then that hunted game and brought it to me? I ate it before you came and I blessed him. And indeed, he will be blessed. When Esau heard of his father's words, he burst out with a loud and bitter cry and said to his father, 
bless me, bless me too, my Father. You see, God, I've got to understand, our concept of a blessing is really, really wimpy and weak compared to this thing. You see, you've got to understand, this blessing was something that Rebecca and um, Jacob thought was so valuable that they were willing to steal it. And Esau thought it was so valuable that when he missed it, he just was um, piled up in tears, just a rubble on the floor. And the thing is, we understand why by looking at the first couple of verses of this, um, this thing that I just read out, the story. When Jacob approaches Esau, he asks, who is it? And Jacob replies, I'm Esau, your firstborn. Now, you've got to understand in Hebrew, when you look at a sentence, Hebrew, the original language this is written in, it's the last word that's the focal point. In other words, Jacob gets the lie out of the way, yes, yes, I'm Esau. But then he homes in on what's really important. He says, I'm your firstborn. And the reason why he does that and the reason why this is so important is because of this patriarchal, hierarchical time was a time when the firstborn was favored above everyone else. They would receive the lion's share of the blessing. In terms of inheritance, they would go away with at least twice as much more than the other sons. And if you look at um, other authority, for example, they would be in sole charge. They would have the ability to speak as the father speaks. So to be the firstborn was to be privileged and to have more than the rest. And as a result of this, the father would often pour into that son. That firstborn son, he would pour everything, he would delight in him because his future, his reputation, his name was so wrapped up in the son that he just couldn't help but pour into him and love him and dote on him and desire the best for him. It says in Genesis 25, Esau became a skillful hunter, a man of the open country, while Jacob was a quiet man, staying among the tents. Isaac, who had a taste for wild game, loved Esau, but Rebekah loved Jacob. Jacob was pretty much a mummy's boy. And Esau was the strapping, successful man's man. He was the one that he most loved. And so over the years, Isaac doted on Esau. He poured himself onto it. He blessed him. With a, anyone who's a parent in this room who's had a child, that first child, when you look at them, your words cannot seem to explain it. You just take hold of that baby and you say, I love you. You mean everything to me. I desire the best for you. You are wonderful. You pour out these words of love. And what wonderful words they are to hear when you're growing up. But the problem is, is that in this situation, everyone else, including Jacob, was not receiving these words. They were just watching this happen. They were not being delighted in. They were not showing attention. But this wasn't just about inheritance. This wasn't just about attention. As Chris said last week, words, and indeed lack of words, have power, especially words from a father. We all know and delight, we all want to be known and delighted in. And there's truth to what Chris was saying last week, a little bit of amendment. Sticks and stones can break my bones, but words can make or break my very soul. Why is Jacob exploiting his father in this moment? Because for years... He has watched his father pour love onto his brother. For years, he has sat there going, God, Father, what about me? Dad, what about me? I'm here too. Love me. Dote on me. Tell me I'm special. Tell me I'm unique as well. And his father said, yeah, 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 right. Esau. And you get to this point in Jacob's life where he is just broken. He has lacked this for far too long. 
And so he goes about it. You see, Jacob isn't manipulating and horrible for horrible's sake. He's a broken, insecure man who's desperate for his father's attention. Desperate for that blessing. So what does he do? He dresses up like his brother. And the frightening thing about this, the frightening thing that we see in this story is, this is a picture of how most of us try and get that blessing. We dress up as someone else. Someone we're not. Jacob dresses up as Esau. He wears clothes that probably don't fit. He compares himself. He, you know, he does everything, pretending he's like someone else in order to get the blessing. But, I mean, he had to, didn't he? Because being Jacob wasn't enough. He didn't get any attention from being Jacob. So he had to become someone else. But don't we all do that? Don't we all dress up because being ourselves just doesn't seem to cut it? And so we all make an extra effort. We hide away our weaknesses, our, our failures, our fears. And we put on our best front and we put on a few pretend fronts in order to get the attention that we so desperately want. Ask a confident child how, things about their dream and they will tell you their dreams for their life and they'll just be incredible. Ask the same child when they become an adult and those dreams have been laughed at and stirred on and they're so vulnerable that they wouldn't dare go back there. And so they've gone about going and saying, okay, if I earn enough money, if I get enough status and I have the right job, then people will love me and respect me. Maybe it's a relationship form. Maybe there's someone you so desire because you know that if you were them, if with them, if they poured their love onto you, if they showed you that special attention and chose you above everyone else, then everything would be perfect. And so you try and figure out what they like and you become that and then you get married and spend the rest of your life Try and hide those things from them in case they find out the real you. And Dennis always does this incredibly well. I'm not going to be able to do this as good as him, but how often do we come into church smiling and looking fine? <laughs> Thanks, man. Full of faith, we hide our temptations, we hide our struggles, we hide our doubts, because what if someone rejects us? What if we're not accepted for who we really are? We all dress up because we so want that firstborn blessing to be the special one, to be the unique one. But the truth is, is that when we dress up and we become that, it's never going to be enough. And you see, one of the saddest moments in this story is that when Jacob leans forward to kiss his father as his father requested Isaac gets this whiff of him, the smell of him, but it's not him, it's Esau. And his face lights up. My son, it's you, it's really you. And all those memories, all those sights that he's lost of how beautiful and how wonderful his firstborn son is flood back. The words just flow out of his mouth. And Jacob's sitting there receiving it all and seeing it for the first time, looking at him eye to eye. But he realizes it's not really for him. It's not really for him. In this heartbreaking moment, he realizes that no amount of compliments, no amount of words are ever going to fill that void in his heart because the compliments are being given to this fake version of himself, not the real him. And we do it before God sometimes, don't we? We come before God and say, God, I've been good. I've done this. I mean, show me a break. And then God even may even bless us. And he says things over us. And we say, well, 
Okay, but if you knew the real me, you probably wouldn't be saying those words. There is never going to be enough compliments that fill that void. This is never going to be enough. Because he was never the firstborn son. The interesting thing is, is that even if you are a firstborn in your family, none of our families are perfect. We all lack something, whether it's to know that we're delighted in, resources to do what we're really capable of doing, or something we just cannot articulate. We just know that something's missing. There's only one person in all of history that's ever experienced the fullness of being the firstborn son, and that's Jesus Christ. In Colossians 1.15, it says, The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For eternity, Jesus was so delighted and so doted on, so loved, that he reflects his Father in the fullness. He reminds him of himself way more than Esau would have ever reminded Isaac of himself. The Father loved him so extensively and dreamt such big dreams for him that he committed all of his resources to help him succeed on a multi-universal level. I like that term. But so was his image of the Father and his heart of the Father's that most astonishingly, Jesus abandoned it all because of the lost. He left that security behind and came to earth as just a man and then died on a cross you see, every other time on the cross, every other time other than the cross, he calls Father, Heavenly Father, Abba Father, my Father. But on the cross, he says, God. Why is this? It's because on that cross, he lost the firstborn blessing. He gave it up. Paul explains this in Galatians 3. He says, Christ redeemed us. He paid the full price. He gave everything up to set us free from the curse of the law by becoming, absorbing that curse for us. He redeemed that in order that the blessing given to Abraham might come to us through Jesus Christ. You see, Jesus took on our clothing, our flaws, our failures, our weaknesses, and put them on himself, and then received the full curse that they deserved. But he doesn't just stop there, as Linda loves to call it, the divine exchange. What he does is he takes off his garments his firstborn blessing clothes and wraps them around us. It says, and um, of course, read this out last week, Galatians 3 27. All of you who are baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ, the firstborn. You've got to understand, this is not like Esau who was happy with that, being content as the firstborn and delighted in it and knew one day he was going to get what he deserved. Jesus Christ is a massively different older brother. He chooses to give up everything that he's entitled to in order to wrap us in it so we would be called firstborn. Indeed, all of us are called firstborn, which is frankly just mind-blowing and hard to get our heads around. But it says it in Hebrews 12, if you don't believe me, 12, 23. And when it's talking about the new Jerusalem, the new Zion, a vision of heaven, it says it's full of the assembly of the firstborn. Every single one of us who trusts in Jesus isn't just made a son. I mean, son's amazing. But we don't just get a share of the inheritance. We get the firstborn share of the inheritance. The firstborn share of the authority. Every single one of us. Which sounds impossible, but we all know that everything with God, nothing with God is impossible. This is a God who's omnipresent. He's all places, all time. 
He sits in front of us and looks into our eyes and pours over us for eternity. Nothing is going to distract him from us. He says, you are my beloved son, my beautiful daughter. I love you. I delight in you. You mean the world to me. You're so special. You're so unique. There's not a single other person in this world like you. More than that, he's omnipotent. God has endlessly given us the lion's share of his infant resources. We are all treated as firstborns. We lack nothing. We have in abundance. It's when these sacrifices had been offered to, uh, to God that Aaron, the priest, then can declare this blessing, this number six blessing over his, the people of God. In other words, when they had been redeemed, when they had been set free, this blessing was able to be spoken over them. You and I have been redeemed. We've been set free eternally, everlasting. And so this blessing that we read out isn't just something that we can be, you know, kind of take joy in and that's nice. This is God's word that he speaks over every single one of you, every single one of us eternally. How it should be phrased if God was speaking this. He says, I will bless you and keep you. I will give you all that you need and I will protect you. I'll take that upon myself. I will make my face shine upon you and be gracious. I will dote on you as my firstborn. I will know you intimately. I will be staring at you eye to eye. I can smell you and, I can, and you bring me absolute delight. I will lift my countenance towards you and give you my peace. I'm not just willing that you have a good life and hoping and you have everything you need. I'm fully committing everything I have for your peace, your shalom, your wholeness your success, your satisfaction. I, says God, I am going to achieve that for you. You are my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Now we could stop there and and frankly that would be a beautiful message to receive and go out on. But the important thing about a blessing, the important thing about a blessing is we don't just get a blessing for blessing's sake. There's a purpose to it. And again, Chris read this last week. I'm basically just stealing Chris's sermon by the sounds of things. But in Genesis 12, it says, I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. And all the peoples on the earth will be blessed through you. You are blessed. You are blessed, full stop. But you are blessed to be a blessing. See, that's the principle of what God's blessing in this place, in Genesis 12, that carries on for all eternity through Jesus. I will only bless you. I'm only blessing you so you can be a blessing. God blesses you and then, and so you can move out into the lives of others and other people and bless them. You are called to go and be a blessing, to delight in, to dote on to pour out the unconditional love that you yourself have received, to give them whatever you have. You've been given the lion's share of the inheritance, then you are to give it away. And you've got to understand you have access to more resources than you can ever possibly give away in one lifetime. There is no way you can outgive what God's going to give to you. And next week, I'll leave this to Mark actually, next week Mark is talking on provision and potential. If you want to hear more about that, I'm just writing Mark something for him, then go for it. In all areas of life, 
Let's act like we are the firstborn. When something is not how our Father would like it, intervene with the authority that you have been given. Pray for the sick. Bring good news to the poor. Free the captives. Heal the brokenhearted. You have the inheritance and you have the authority. In my time left, I actually want to focus on one specific thing, which I'll broaden out. But it's a conversation I keep on having over and over again. And it's just a remarkable conversation. For some reason, it's stuck in my mind for a long time. The number of people in this church, and quite a lot of you, have come up to me and said, you know, I'm facing this situation. I'm in a job at the moment, and it's going really well. But I've been offered another job, and I don't know what to do. Would you pray for me? And I've learned over the time to develop a two-part answer to that. First part is congratulations. I mean, seriously, whether you take the job or not, celebrate. To be offered a job in this time when you, you know, is just a remarkable, beautiful, wonderful thing. Celebrate that someone, uh, someone is blessing you. They delight in you. They want the, you to succeed. That's not a wonderful thing. But the second thing I always add on to that is, but your question is far too small. The question you should be asking is, why am I being blessed? What is this blessing for? Now, maybe you're absolutely happy doing what you're doing, whatever it is you're doing, and that's great. You know, you're, maybe you're exactly where God wants you, and that's fantastic. In which case, I'll just say, be the best you can be in that place. Serve, serve your heart out. Do everything you can. Do exactly what Chris has just said about going to the equipped classes and be, becoming better. That faith in the workplace one as well. Being God in that workplace. So many great things you can increasingly add to that. The one thing I would say to you is the one thing the apostles said to Paul before he started, which was remember the poor. Just remember the poor. But maybe you're not happy where you are. Maybe there's a dissatisfaction. Maybe you're spending all day long doing emails and procrastinating because something is just frankly boring about what you do or distracting about it. You feel apathetic. Well, I want to suggest to you that you are bored because you have not yet heard and responded to the call of God on your life. It doesn't mean you're in the wrong place. Don't quit your job and run off and do something else. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is, you need to hear that call first and foremost. How do you do that? I'd say the same thing I said to you when I was pursuing Tara and she had no intention of being with me. <laughs> Ask God. Go and pray about it. Now you've got to understand, this is not going to be a prayer that's answered just like that. It's not going to be like, uh, God, what socks shall I wear today? And God says, just pick one. You see, this isn't just a head answer. A head answer is never going to satisfy your purpose for your life. It has got to be an utter turning of your heart. It has got to be an utter transformation inside of you. In James 4, 2, it says this, you do not have because you do not ask. When was the last time, not even one time, when was the time when you were so calling out to God for that purpose, that vision? Why am I being blessed? Why do I have what I have? Why was I born in this country? Why do I have any money to my name? Why am I blessed? Why do you delight in me? Why have you given me anything? Seek out that picture. Seek out that purpose. Wait until something grabs you. I love the Aristotle quote when he said, the soul never thinks without a picture. There's got to be something that grabs you, a picture so deep that it either greatly disturbs you or greatly excites you. 
with something so important as to why you're called, it's got to be worth waiting for. It's got to be worth praying for. It's got to be worth seeking uh, with every fiber of your being over a length of time. We did a great sermon series recently on the persistence of prayer. There is nothing that's worthy more of prayer than asking, God, what are you here for? We have got to press in. This is not something we can just do from a blessing at the end. This has got to be something you've got to weave into every aspect of your life. And I say this with passion because if anyone, anyone who knows me that I've had the opportunity to speak to knows that I've spent the last two or three years, I would say, spiritually struggling. And after a couple of years, I realized that part of the reason why I was spiritually struggling is because I've become so comfortable. I've been through some really difficult times, but everything seemed to be lining up, family, friends, home, and this, that, and the other. Job was good. And I was just getting dissatisfied. And if I'm being absolutely honest to you, there were times when I thought, do you know what? I don't really know if I need God. I never want to be in that place. I never want to be in a place where I can say, I can do this life without God. Because that means I'm living my life way too small. I'm so desperate to do more than what God has called me to. And it was never easy. It was never, you know, things were not easy. Things were still difficult. But I could do it in a way that I didn't need God. And I desperately, desperately, desperately want God. And I knew that something was wrong when I bounced between apathy and, um, and frustration. And the greatest advice I got was uh, Rick, who used to work at this church, I sat down with him one day, and he gave me the fantastic piece of advice. He said, Richard, this is not just about you. I said, like, what do you mean? Of course it's about me. I mean, come on. He said, Richard, it's not just about you. You see, the thing is, is that we assume that when we're unhappy or dissatisfied or when we're frustrated, that something is wrong in our lives. And so we become obsessed with changing something. We get a new job, a new home, a new relationship, and eventually everything will be fine, right? But what happens when you get that job? Sure, it's a bit of an adventure and fun, but eventually you end up in the same place. Now listen, God didn't call you to an adventure. The literary translation of an adventure is something where you go, you have thrills, you have a great time, but you come back to where you started. The Hobbit is a great children's book, and it's an adventure. The Lord of the Rings is not an adventure. It's a quest. You see, you are called not to an adventure, but a quest. And the thing about a quest is that it's not something you choose. It comes to you. There's a real need. You're called to it because of what's involved, and frankly, you never come back. In a quest, you will either die for the cause or in a quest, you will come back so radically transformed, so different from when you set out, that you could never say you really came back. God doesn't say, go on an adventure, find out what this blessing is meant to be blessing you for. He says, find out what this blessing, receive this blessing and find out what it's for for others. Give yourself to it. It's a whole new life. It means you'll never be the same again. So we need to ask we need to systematically, desperately, faithfully, without ceasing, ask God, what am I being blessed for? It's taken me, as I said, three years. And I love, um, we've got friends over from um, North Carolina at the moment, and they revealed this insight as, on almost the first night. They're being missionaries, they're trying different things. And it says, you know, it's interesting that God is a light to your feet. 
And the thing about that is it's not very far ahead of yourself. And so sometimes you don't see a long way, but you can see enough to take the next step. But without vision, without pursuing and persisting after that, when you get to the end of your life, no matter how good it is, you will wonder if you've missed out on something. Without vision, you don't even know if you're heading in the right direction. God is saying, you are his firstborn. You are blessed to be a blessing. The need is great. The harvest is plentiful. It is important to realize that God is not facing budget cuts. He is recruiting all the time. There is plenty to get on with. And if you don't know where to start, just do something. And this is a place full of need. We have a university five miles down the road with 25 to 30,000 students. And I don't know how many of them are blessed, know they're blessed, or even are being a blessing. But let me tell you this. I know that there's only 60 people at most going to the Christian Union. A tiny, tiny fraction. There is a desperate need for someone to be there. We have people on the streets at night. We have elderly people sitting in their home all day because they have nothing to do and they're lonely. We have wealthy people desperately trying to fill a void they cannot explain and poor people who think that everything will be better when they have just a little bit more. We have school kids being crushed by academic and social expectations and parents, parents who don't even know how to stop and play with their children. We have single moms struggling to be both the mom and the dad to their children. For a child that doesn't even know how to articulate the loss and the hurt that they are feeling. You throw into that mix the fact that they're having to weigh up the financial struggles and their own loneliness. We have marriages that are on the rocks. Sexual relationships are becoming another commodity. Young people are turning to drink, drugs, and gangs to hide the pain and the numbness of their existence. And no one knows what to do about it. People are hurting. People are lost. They're confused. They're hopeless. They're purposeless. They're depressed. Who will go to them? Who will go to them? God weeps over every single one of these people. Every single individual. He is not the father who's standing aside saying, yeah, I'll come to you in a minute. He is saying, look at me. You're looking in the wrong place. I'm your father. You're my firstborn. I love you. You mean the world to me. We are blessed to be a blessing. Let this thing destroy you. Let it overwhelm you. Let it break you. Let it tear you apart. Let it pull you down into the deepest recesses of who you are that you feel utterly hopeless about it. And then stand up and say, God, will you use me? Because when God's concern becomes your concern, you don't actually have to pray for a vision. You just go. You just know you need to do something about it. Jesus himself said to the Father, you sent me into the world. I have sent them into the world. You've been blessed to be a blessing. You've been called to be sent. Could the band come back up, please? God utterly delights in you. He is committed to the good and the plans he has for you. These are plans to prosper and not to harm other people. They are plans to give others a hope and a future. They are plans for the good of others. Would you stand? Let me pray.
Uh, I have no idea what to pray. We'll just worship. 